0: the years have all passed we've reached modern times the nazis have come with their nazi war crimes yes the power was there the power was found six million people have heard that same sound that old knock on the door knock on the door here they come to take hello and welcome to the american writers 100 pages at a time podcast in this episode i will be looking at giving you my thoughts on a charmed life by mary mccarthy a charmed life was published in 1955 and it's her well, it's the fourth novel by mary mccarthy that we're looking at um three years after the growth of academe in some ways it kind of feels like the growth of academe in some ways even though that's maybe a uh, a, a slightly tighter story, but and it, deals, it, it, it kind of reminds me of it because it, we're dealing with intellectuals kind of living together, right? And that was the case in the Oasis, too. But, um, you know, this is set in a place called New Leeds, which is like essentially a bohemian colony, a bohemian community filled with artists, right? And there's some other people there, too, but it's basically an artist colony where, you know, these well-educated, intellectual-type artists just just sort of live together. But otherwise, it's a very much a suburban community, right? And I think e- even as early as McCarthy's novel *The uh, Company She Keeps*, we see this tension between kind of the intellectual life and and conventional life, right? And and how they don't. She doesn't really see them as that far, right? How intellectuals get kind of fall for the same kind of mundane nonsense that that the typical bourgeois family does. I mean, this book the way it's set and the way the personal relationships and dynamics are set up is very much, feels like a critique of of middle-class life, right? And it's kind of a microcosm of uh, maybe academia as a whole or even America as a a whole. Um, So while uh, the growth of academia was set on a small college town and dealing with those personalities, this one allows McCarthy to explore much more in-depth marriage and, and sexual relations and personal relations a lot more. Um, and that, I think, is something that may make this novel more attractive to, to some readers. Um, now, there's basically two plots going on in this, this novel. The first has to do with, I guess it's more just a setting. It's not even really a plot. It's, it's just the setting that we're in. We got, basically, it, it, it's surrounds three or four couples. Well, three couples core core make the core of the characters. And there are some side characters, including one man who's kind of courting a, a single woman that lives in the community, another artist. But, you know, so in that sense, you kind of got a fourth couple in the backdrop, but basically it's three couples and they're interconnected in, in, in very intensely in personal ways. Um, and then the second, the real plot of the novel deals with this, the, the, the main character, the protagonist, Martha Sinot, Sinot, who has come back to New Leeds after living there before uh, with her then-husband, Miles, and Miles was abusive and pretty nasty to her, and she eventually left her for this guy John, who takes her up and marries her, and 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 he's a good husband, but she's kind of bored with him, and and Miles at the same time is sort of bored with his wife, who he he basically picks a very very conventional wife just to just to be pretty and have babies, so someone who's not as intellectual equal, um, so they both get bored, and eventually they they sleep together. And then there's ramifications of that, especially in the second half of the novel. Well, all that happens in the second half of the novel. Um, basically, the first half of the novel, what I want to talk today is just setting up the characters who live in New Leeds. So it's it's that's what really what it's about. It's about let us know where we are, letting you know a little bit about the background of these characters, and giving us a feel, giving us a feel for just what's life like in this kind of um, bohemian enclave. In I think this is also in New England, like the Oasis was. Now, I heard some people, I was reading some reviews and stuff of of this novel online, and some people were complaining that, like, it's a little too meandering and and it doesn't seem to have, like, a real story it's telling. But if you read Mary MacArthur, you know she really doesn't have... That's not the focus of what she's writing about, right? She's writing about the people. She's writing about their interactions. She's writing um, kind of a sarcastic look at a certain aspect of life that she's very, very connected to and very, very in touch with. That's what makes the first half of the novel, like, stand out actually it's because she just puts us in this environment which itself is kind of weird it's and I think but it's no weirder maybe than any other suburban neighborhood right uh, it has its own kind of rules and all it has its own kind of gossiping and personal relations and despite them being intellectuals being scholars they, they mean to do some things like their parties are about poetry readings or or uh, like reading plays and things like that and they talk a lot about philosophy, but at the end of the day, they're still who they are. They're still just people living in suburbia and they, folk, they they care about getting married. They care about who they marry. They have a lot of petty jealousies and and personal grievances. And so they're never able to really la- go ahead of that. That's really the point of the Grosavacanine too, is how these intellectuals really are stuck in the most petty, most self-serving agenda. And they're never actually anything beyond that, really. And that's certainly the case here too. Um, so anyways, let's, let's go over these characters as we look at the first few chapters, because basically the first three chapters introduce our main set of, of characters, our main, our, our, our actors in this story. Okay. So chapter one uh, focuses on Martha and John Sinot, Sinott S I N N O O T T. And they're are our main character throughout this couple. Um, Martha is a philosopher; she got her PhD in philosophy, and she's and she's a playwright, so that's her thing. Her husband, John, um, again, this is her second husband. Her first husband was was Miles, who I think at this point in the story is on his third wife um, after 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 Martha left him. Um, and he's basically a good guy, but he's just a little bit vanilla, right? And but they kind of want. Well, he's a historian, by the way. Or he writes like historical essays, and and that's how they're hoping to make a living. They don't have that much money, but in fact, they kind of spent most of their money moving back to New Leeds. And it's the good question here early on in the story is was this even a good idea? Knowing her ex-husband lived there, knowing that her. You know, she had some p- bad years with that man, Miles, and in New Leeds. It's kind of odd for her to want to come back, but she's hoping that they could both kind of get their career going and do some writing. And there's this kind of fantasy that if you can just be in an academic environment, if you can be around these other artists, it can be sort of like uh, a sanctuary for intellectual activity, which isn't what happens. We've, we don't see that much intellectual activity actually take place. We see mostly... Um, Gossiping and pettiness and interpersonal stuff going on. But anyway,s that's sort of their plan, and they kind of cash out their money to to move in um, to this house. I, I think they had this house for a while, but there's a tenant living there, and the tenant sort of trashed the place. So when we meet John, he's busy trying to fix everything, and Martha's complaining all the time about the tenant. And John's kind of taking it in stride, just kind of doing the repairs. But they're really scrimping for money to even make these r- repairs. Um, so we get a lot about Martha's background in this chapter as, as well. Now, their marriage isn't confrontational. It isn't, you know, they don't yell at each other. It's suggested that they yell, used to fight a lot in the past, but now it's, it's just much more banal, and they just sort of accept being with each other, but none of them seem very happy. Martha has a belief that by having a child, she will be able to kind of jumpstart her, her marriage and, and get it going again and get it in the right place, right? This is a, a classic dream. Of course, it never works out, right? Ch- children are never really able to fix uh, a, a fracturing marriage. But it's pretty clear that their marriage is on it's on the rocks and, and is in a bit of trouble. And partially by going to new leads, there's just hope that they can they can um, do something about that. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of passion here. It seems like John... Well, when she was married with Miles, she had this affair with John and she ended up running off with him. And, and he you know, does his due diligence in marrying her and, and trying to uh, be a partner for her. But uh, the, the marriage just seems kind of stuck in, in a bit of a rut. Uh, Mary McCarthy writes, What frightened Martha for her part was the ebbing of concern. She had caught herself several times forgetting John's existence when they had gone to the village for a few hours. Then they did not quarrel the way they used to. Or they did not even quarrel the way they used to. Now, for example, once the bandage was on, they no longer cross though they had given each other ample provocation. He glowered and she looked sad, but underneath she knew neither of them felt a single thing. Martha would have liked to go back to the parlor and pick up her sewing or her book, but it didn't seem quite polite to do while John was in pain, End quote. Now what happened here is he was doing these repairs around the house on a window and he cut his hand and they bickered about the, the tenant that was there before and some other things and she ends up helping him, you know, badge up his hand, but... but um, you know the whole right away we're told that this marriage is, is is on the rock so knowing that she was married to this guy miles knowing that miles is in new Leeds, knowing she wants to have a baby I mean the whole tragedy of the novel and it is a tragedy by the end despite its comedic elements and comedic setting I mean I think Mary McCarthy is very good at just having these ridiculous um, arrangements that allow her to explore these interpersonal relations these people's histories and these characters um, but you know kind of everything's set up right in the first chapter for the disaster that, that we kind of see coming the mild way even if it was, it was spoiled for me but i think it's pretty obvious when you read that, that this is where the novel is going i mean not even everyone in town seems to know that eventually miles and martha are going to sleep together or at least they're very interested in watching that relationship we also in this chapter get a little bit of an introduction to new leads itself which is presented as as a bit of a a a weird place for for instance everyone here seems to be an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic and that of course sets up some other things that happens at the end of the novel as as well Um, quote and the essence of new leaves was a kind of exaggeration everything here multiplied like the jellyfish in the harbor there were three village idiots grinning in the post office the average winter resident who settled here had 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 three wives and there were eight young bohemians with beards leaning from their pickup trucks Twenty-one town drunkards. In wife-beating, child-neglect, divorce, automobile accidents, false suicides, the town was on a sort of statistical rampage, like the highways on a holiday weekend. Nothing in New Leeds happened only once. When Martha's house burned to the ground while she was living with her first husband, it was the third house that year to catch on fire. Defective wiring. Not even the one-time winter residents chewing the fat of the paper store. All the while, she thought she knew better than the village chorus. The elements of reputation still terrified Martha when she remembered the fire. So, you know, this is a a bit of our introduction to our town. But we're told right away that the real sin of this town is drink. Like people who aren't drunkards become alcoholic as soon as they get into town or not long after. Um, Everything's sort of inflated. There's even a a trial at the end, a divorce trial, because everyone's being remarried constantly. And there's a witness for it. And the judge or the, the lawyer asks, like, how many drinks does this guy have? And you know, just she says something like two, but she's translating for a normal person. Like this guy normally has like 10 drinks, but that's like two for a normal person. Um, yeah, the, the the town is, it's like if, I mean, I guess like I get the feeling that if you take like the worst aspects of 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 the self-centered, self-serving academic and, and throw, throw a bunch of these people together or the artists, throw these people together in a colony somewhere, I mean, this seems to be a fairly accurate depiction of what you might end up with it's funny, like, like in, in, in in China, when I tell people like I'm a historian or used to be a professor, people think you're, you're like a good person, you know, and there's this uh, respect given to intellectuals and, and even just teachers. That's kind of comes out of tradition, I think. But, I mean, boy, I mean, I've met a lot of intellectuals, and none of them are like saints by, by any stretch of the imagination. I think certainly Mary McCarthy knows that none of them are saints. But, um, you know. Anyways, that, that's chapter one. That's our introduction to the synods, to John and Martha, their problems, and the, and the town as a whole. Um, so then in chapter two, we're introduced to our next couple. Our, our, this, well, kind of the second, the, the two other couples are introduced in chapter two. Uh, the first of these is, is Jane and Warren Coe, C-O-E. Um, Jane is, I think she's not an artist. Uh, she's just from a rich family, and Warren is an artist. He's like a painter. He's a modernist painter. And in fact, Jane's parents essentially support his career by buying all his paintings. He hasn't yet sold a painting like on the open market yet. It's always been sold straight to her, his father-in-law. So basically they're on the stipend of of this father-in-law, right? Now they're, they're, described as a more normal couple and they seem to be seen as a more normal couple compared to to some of the others like certainly miles murphy and his wife are odd miles is odd a lot of other people are really weird and they're, they're fun to to meet but these people are presented as pretty conventional and normal but that also makes them the center of kind of public life their they're, their home becomes sort of a neutral ground for encounters and parties and things now Warren is a—he's uh, rather old. He's like like already fifty, but he hasn't really had his artistic career taken off yet. You know, basically he's living on the uh, off his father-in-law, it seems. But um, he spent like time in the military, and um, he he went back to school to art school fairly late. Um, but yeah, that's they're they're kind of seen as just the more boring traditional um, couple. But they're, they're very important characters because they're kind of they they become a mediator between Miles and the. and and Martha, in a way, and and other characters. He's also very conservative. He's kind of more typical of what you would expect in kind of suburban life. Uh, Quote, he was old-fashioned. He had liberated himself in his painting, and he and Jane had engaged in some pretty daring experimentation in bed, but socially he was no pioneer. Probably at bottom, he was as big a scoundrel as Miles. In his heart, perhaps he really wanted to beat up on women and brag and lie and was just a prisoner of his inhibitions. End quote. but he doesn't do it right that's the other side to it and and maybe that's also kind of a suggestion of the vanilla bourgeois you know suburban life is you know miles is just honest about um, his desires and, and what's in his heart but he acts out on it right uh, martha does too in, in, her, in her own way to a lesser degree but warren is just you know he's straight he's the straight guy um, now, there's a, there's a little bit about his art that's quite interesting. Um, people seem to talk about it. I had a hard time visualizing some of these, these paintings. Uh, he, for instance, he paints a pa- painting of Martha, which becomes an important plot device in, in the story. But he, he, seems, he seems to be kind of a futurist. Uh, he's, it's said he's trying to incorporate three dimensions into his artwork, which my understanding of three dimensions in artwork is this is what the future, no, four dimensions, I mean, four dimensions. They want to include time in the artwork into two-dimensional painting. My understanding of that, well, of course, in the Renaissance, you have the third dimension, right? Perspective gets added in. And then what happened in the 20th century is you had all this experimentation with the modernist art. And one branch of that, were the futurists. And my understanding is that they were trying to get motion, get, that, get time into their artwork that fourth dimension and here this I'm not sure when this novel's set I'm assuming it's just 1955 just uh, the time the novel was written my sense though is that people back in the 30s and the 20s were already doing this so I'm not sure how original this is but he's certainly of the modernist school uh, in his in his painting but again he, he he hasn't really his career hasn't really kicked off um, so we also then meet the, the third couple that's important for the novel, and that would be Miles and Helen Murphy. Um, Helen is Miles' third wife, and uh, I think Martha must have been his second. So this is his the woman he married after Martha, completely different from Martha. Martha's intellectual. She's um, a bit hard to control. She's his intellectual equal, right? Helen's not that. Helen is... Uh, just, just kind of more of a trophy wife type figure. Um, but Miles himself very, very highly intellectual, very, very dark, very uh, aggr- like verbally violent at times. He's also physically violent. He has been physically violent with Martha. It's not hard to imagine he's also physically violent with Helen. Uh, very, very strong temper and and drinker, uh, a big time drinker, a heavy drinker. So he's he's kind of got all the worst of. Of, of life in this colony and, and all the worst elements of of this academic figure this artistic figure that that mary mccarthy seems to be lampooning in this novel and her other novels like that he's some kind of philosopher it seems um so warren has this picture of martha that he's prepared and, and miles Buys it, and this becomes a source of gossip in the town because immediately, as soon as Martha moves in, everyone's thinking like, "Are they going to have an affair? What's going to happen? How are they going to interact? How is John going to like it? How's Helen going to like this?" All these, you know, everyone's sort of gossiping about it. About it, and Miles just only adds to the gossip by buying the the painting. and I get the sense he almost enjoys that. Um, now, yeah, H- Helen Murphy. There's not much to say about him. She's kind of a forgettable character. She's just there to have to. To, to produce a baby, it seems, and, and she had just had a baby when the, when the novel begins. So there's a newborn baby in that, in that family. So chapter two introduces the Murphys and the Coes. Um, you know. And all three of these couples seem to be different aspects of, of the community, right? But the heart of it is this relationship between Miles and Martha, and, and, and that, that relationship between those two families. All right, chapter three. Chapter three, a lot more about Warren's art is explored in this particular chapter. Um, in fact, this, the center of this chapter is, is still Warren and Miles. That's, that's where our focus is. We haven't really got back around to, to Martha and the synods. Uh, we hear more about his views on painting, his, his career as an artist, and what he's going after. And, and yeah, this, this idea of trying to, to put in a fourth dimension is, is discussed. Um, but he also has a very, this interested me a little bit more than the, what seemed to be just like futurism, um, was, was this kind of desire to incorporate the atomic age into his artwork. Um, uh, so they're looking at Warren's art and Warren gives comment on it and he says, it's supposed to represent an equation, the one the atom bomb is based on. It's Martha in a state of fission. In my next series, I'm going to go on fusion, the hydrogen bond formula. So that, that's talking about the the painting of, of Helen. He, she somehow incorporated like the concerns of the atomic age, and and I don't know much about that. There must have been many artists though who were influenced by the atomic age and tried to incorporate into their artwork. And and maybe Mary McCarthy was inspired by by some of that. But that, that was kind of a fascinating idea of of how artistic culture was. You know how how artists were affected by the atomic bomb. You know, we, we of course I read a lot of science fiction, so it's easy to see how. Science fiction was shaped by the, the A bomb, but you know I don't know about some of these other other fields, um, but certainly it's there. And I, I mentioned a few podcasts ago a book called "By the Bomb's Really Light" by by Paul Boyer, uh, which is all about the impact of the bomb on American culture. And I don't remember there anything explicitly about like high art, you know, painting, but maybe there was something in it. I should check it out um, at some point. Now, Miles, we get a lot of Miles' internal thoughts in this. And, and it's, again, we're, what's being set up here is this encounter between Martha and Miles that's going to come at some point and And, you know, there's the gossip about it. People are already talking about it and, and thinking what the, what the what, what's the meaning of him buying this art, this painting of Martha. What's the suggestion? But we actually get inside Miles' head here a little bit. And one thing we do learn is that he's already bored by his wife. And Martha's arrival really um frustrates him and and sort of piques him but it's it's kind of a fascination for him too and he's very very like he's a bit hot and bothered by martha's return in part because he's just so absolutely bored by helen you know he it's it's said here uh through his point of view that he you know he did i don't want to say this he he's kind of got a soft spot for intellectual women and he knows it's bad for, they're bad for him, right? It's kind of like drink. You know, you know drink's bad for you, but you keep getting drawn to it and, and, and you suffer the consequences of that. He has the soft spot for, for smart women, and that's why he was with Martha in the first place. But he knows that that relationship was catastrophic, and he knows he's spent a lot of time putting his life back together since then with this new wife, but he's just apparently quite bored with it. Now, more intriguing is he notices how much Martha has changed. Quote, Martha had changed a great deal. She was more unsure of herself, and at the same time, she had more dignity. There was less of the wayward modern girl and more of the bohemian lady in her. She had even changed her hairdo. The little knot at the nape was new. In the old days, she had had braids around her neck, unbecomingly, and she had worn peasant skirts sometimes in stripes of bright colors. Cynote must have taught her how to dress. She had a frail look that Miles had never associated with her before, despite her small hands and thin waist. During their marriage, he had always been conscious of her tensile strength and durability, her Scandinavian side. Now it seemed as if the poetic side, the Italian mother, had gotten the upper hand. She appeared to be living constrainedly in some sort of romance, a projection of Sinnott, probably, a borrowed ego, ideal, end quote. Um, And then he, he ponders a little bit more about what this change means. Did he get Martha wrong when he was married? Did he, you know, was it... You know, did he, there's kind of some regret here. But I like how he intellectualizes it, because he is a pure philosopher, and despite his violence, despite his very, un, his, his villainous characteristics, which there are many, he does sort of see everything as a philosophical problem that has to be worked out, right? Musing about the id-ego stuff while, while thinking about his ex-wife. I, I don't think too many of us do that, but, but he does. He, that's his training. So yeah, the, chapter three is mostly about Miles's reflections on, on Martha's return and his impression of having, when he saw her, his impression of what she is now at this point in her life. So it's in chapter four that we return to the synods and there's a man who's just called the vicomte who comes, which is I think just French for for a viscount. So he's just like a another kind of Bohemian resident, right? a, a quasi intellectual, I assume he has money, uh, we hear a little bit uh, about him. And he's kind of an interesting side character. He only appears, I think, in a couple chapters, though, this one and, and one later on. He plays an important role in the climax of the, of the story. But he just seems to be a, a bit of a social um, um, gadfly, in a way. And he, a lot of what his purpose here is to report, especially on Miles buying this portrait from Warren, this portrait of, of, of Martha, and for how much, for $1,800. It's, it's a significant chunk of change. He sort of gives advice to John as the, as like a sober, well, not sober is the wrong word because he is an alcoholic like everyone else seems to be in this town. But he he seems to know about AA, he seems to attend AA meetings. Um, but he does give him like this advice as a French uh, intellectual of types. So, um, you know, how to handle the Miles thing is, is mostly what he talks about. But they talk about the furniture and stuff too. He, he's just very good. He's very opportun- he's, he's very expert at. At socializing with with people when he visits, when he visits them, um, yeah. Mostly the the center of this conversation though is the painting of Martha and how it was passing over to, to, two miles, and the portrait does bother John quite a lot. He is a bit upset about that. Right? Now, we're told several times in this novel that this is a typical situation in these communities because all these intellectuals are sort of inbred anyways. They've all been married five or six times. So the chances of not running into you, are going to run into your exes at some point at parties or social gatherings, right? So it's just something that's pretty normal in these circles. Um, but nevertheless, John is pretty bothered by by the whole thing. Um, but you know, another thing this chapter does is that it reminds us because drinking is such a big part of it, and they talk about drinking, and they talk about AA. Uh, it's just how much this whole community is lubricated by, by alcohol, and uh, I don't know if just everyone is, is miserable deep down, and you know, you know, even people who are, maybe were sober, they come in and they become alcoholics. It's 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 just uh, something about this community has this effect on people. So then in Chapter 5, we're given, essentially, Martha's reflections on Miles. So this parallels Chapter 3 quite closely. It's mostly her thinking, about him and her thinking about her marriage to Miles. And we get the details of it. And essentially, what the details reveal is that he was violent. I mean, like seriously violent and emotionally abusive throughout that relationship. So as much as we might be impressed by Martha as, a, as an academic, as an artist... As, as a fairly independent woman, you know, she wants some conventional things. She wants a house. She wants kids. She wants the marriage and all that. But she still is a, a very, very impressive person. But when we see how she behaved in this relationship, it's, it's kind of striking, I think, and, and, and kind of amazing. We knew these things about Miles by this point, but we didn't know how bad it was and, and, and how much Martha accepted it for, for so long. Uh, quote, The first night of their marriage, when he had suddenly struck her for no reason as she was climbing into bed, she had looked up at him in mute amazement, too startled to even cry. So far as she knew herself, Martha was one of those people who were naturally responsible, like an open-minded child who listens unsuspiciously to what is told him and expects no evil. And Miles, from the onset, with a sort of blind purpose like a mole, had set himself up to undermine her sense of credibility. She could not believe what was happening. If she were a real woman, Miles used to tell her, she would learn how to handle him. But something obstinate in her nature refused to be indoctrinated. Her passion for the normal rebelled. She would not exploit his good moods or fears or nervous excitement, caused her to fumble their quarrels. The sound of his thread, tread coming up the stairs at night when he had been drinking made her heart race with terror, even when she had locked the door against him. End quote. And it's pretty horrifying, actually, is, is the level of abuse that seems to be there, both emotional and physical, both took place, and how Miles was very, very good at turning... This violence against her and blaming her in various ways. Um yeah. Yeah, it's not a pretty picture. Of course, Martha's question at this point is if things were so bad, and this is what Miles was like, why can't she really love John? And and that's what she's asking herself. You know, at the end of the at, at during, throughout this chapter is is why can't she find what she's looking for in this, in this guy, John. What is she lacking, right? Is it the kid? Is it something else? Is it, or what was it in Miles that she was so attracted by? McCarthy writes, her own love besides this seemed a paltry commonplace thing. Why should she not love John? It took no special virtue. He was a lovable person. She had turned on the light softly and looked down at him, a coil of limbs in the bed. He slept like a child, his lashes quivering gently on his cheek, his curly hair disarrayed picturesquely. He was beautiful and good, and yet she looked down upon him. Curiously she had a hollow sense, as though those very qualities had deprived her of an opportunity, an opportunity of loving against the grain. So that might be it. It's just kind of this there's something about Miles that's drawing her in, and she doesn't fully understand what it is. You know, if we look at this relationship objectively, it seems to be an abusive one. All right. And it's an abusive relationship that she um, escaped from. She escaped from with by going to John. And maybe that's the problem. John is the savior, but he can't be a real lover. So he can't replace what, what Miles gave her in some, you know, in maybe yeah, like, certainly, the same way that Miles married someone who wasn't his intellectual equal, Martha seems to be marrying someone who's not his intellectual equal. He seems to be a decent enough historian, but not He doesn't have the, the level. He, he can't participate in, in the, the world that she's in, quite, quite to the same degree. Um, So what else here? There's also a little bit of lampooning of suburban life here and how there is kind of an overarching conventionality in New Leeds in this town that, you know, kind of makes it just, I mean, they call themselves bohemian, they're countercultural in a way, but at the end of the day, it's kind of the same stuff, just a different location. Quote, um, isn't there such a thing anymore as a healthy rivalry? This is Martha saying it. Or, a contrast, a bar, does it all have to be poisoned nowadays? This horrible bohemian life you see up here with its lily cups and beards and plastics, it's really leveling. Worse than suburbia, where there's a frank competition with your neighbors to have the newest car or bake the best cakes. I can understand that. I'm like that myself. But here, nobody competes unless it's a secret contest as to who can have the most squalid home and give the worst parties. It gives me this strange feeling as if I were the only one left in the world with a desire to excel as if I were competing all alone on an empty stage without judges, rivals, just myself. A sopholistic nightmare. I mean, she's making a contrast between this bohemian life and suburban life, but I don't quite see it. I, I see both, uh, like about putting up appearances, about about maintaining a certain standard and image. And here it might be, you know, having five wives or or being an alcoholic or, or you know, you know engaging in pseudo intellectual conversations or whatever it might be the worst parties i mean that that's kind of a that is a funny line though um so you know martha does come off as a little bit more conventional that, that's a or she admits there like there's something about suburban life that she almost would prefer to this that's a tension in many of mary mccarthy's female protagonists in these stories is this um this goal this this kind of this desire to do something um, which becomes kind of counterculture, whether it was communism, whether it was uh, the Oasis community. But these characters still have this, you know, this pull of conventionality in them all the time, right? Especially in the company she keeps. It's a very, very strong theme there. Okay, chapter six. Chapter six, we're introduced to a few more characters. Um, one is Dolly Lamb. I think we actually met her before, but Dolly Lamb is, is like the. The cousin of martha and she also lives in in new Leeds. she's single and she's in fact a virgin a point is made of establishing her her virginity there um and she's a you know she just she's a nice woman right she she doesn't really fit into this community partially because she's not married but the other character we meet here is really a a striking, dynamic figure. He's 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 very, very memorable. His name is Sandy Gray. First of all, he's had like five wives, so he's just he he has more wives than I think anyone else in the community or or you know, more than average at least. And I mean, just though his description, I mean, he he kind of looks like like an adventurer. So he look, he kind of comes in dressed like Indiana Jones or something, or he's described as like an Australian bushwhacker or something. Right. But he's also a, an intellectual, too. He's, he's a philosopher as well, but he doesn't dress that way. And, and he actually does a better job, it seems. Sandy Gray is more of the countercultural than a lot of these other characters in that he seems more immune to the, this, the, the desires of, of sociability among, among the community at New Leeds. And right away, Sandy Gray starts essentially courting Dolly. And so you've got the virgin and the guy who had five wives meeting up and, and and connecting quite authentically. And um, that relationship we don't I don't think we quite see where how far it goes, because the novel just sort of ends before we maybe could see. But that this could be a really interesting relationship to emerge and see what it would have would have involved. Um, so I really like the Sandy Gray character and, and he has um, we get a lot of his background here. Mostly those was about this was about his interactions with 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 Dali who he kind of targets as his, his potential sixth wife. Um, so yeah, that, that takes us about through half the novel already. It's, the novel itself is a little bit more than, it's just about 250 pages or so. So I think it's the longest of her works that we, we've looked at in this, in this volume. But the first half is just really establishing these characters and their relationships and and their various desires and and how they see how they think about each other. It also sets up much of the second half, right? We we know that Miles and Martha are going to sleep together at some point. We we know that this community is is plagued with alcoholism and there's a lot of personal conflicts under the surface. Um, yeah, so this is all sort of established. Um, uh, for Martha's desire to have a kid is also established here, or her hope that having a kid will somehow salvage her, her marriage. So, um, Mary McCarthy does a really good job of setting this up. It's really fascinating to read. Uh, if you want a plot that you can just jump into and 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 see, you know, step by step, you're not going to get that here. These are really character studies, and these are um, these are about people's interpersonal relationships in a very just daily life kind of story it's another romana clef i think i had to look up what that word meant uh, so i saw one of her books mentioned that'd be that and i looked it up and it seems to be a kind of a slice of life story that's based on real characters so i don't know who everyone here is based on um i mean martha's probably a stand-in for mary mccarthy here um yeah so the first half is mostly about the people of new Leeds. Um, old Mary McCarthy themes such as intellectual hypocrisy and the kind of the absurdity of, of this uh, committed intellectual life. I mean, and before you had the university, you had Oasis, now you have a uh, oh, what's uh, a, com- a community, uh, like a, a Bohemian neighborhood full of artists. It's all kind of the same setting in, in, in a way. It's just a lot of different setting, slightly different settings allow her to explore different questions, different tensions, but it's kind of the same stuff. And again, this novel is about two things. It's about the, this world of new leads, which is kind of fascinating. It's an interesting little town. And then this Miles-Martha relationship. Both are established, I think, quite well in the first half. So I don't know, there's not too much to say until we maybe uh, get on with the plot. Uh, the second half is more plot heavy. And, and things do happen a little bit more in the second half of the story, not just... I mean, basically all that happened is in the first half is Martha comes, uh, and you have they, they buy this portrait. I mean, there's really not that much happens. Everything else is just conversations and musings and people thinking about the past. Um, it, it picks up a little bit in the second half, and I look forward to talking about the second half of the novel in the next episode. So that's going to be it for, for now, but if you have any of your own thoughts about A Charmed Life or about Mary McCarthy or any of her works... Please uh, let me know. You can um, leave your comments below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time with my conclusion. The conclusion of my review, the conclusion of my thoughts on, on A Charmed Life. Look over by the Naomi oceans, McCarthy. look over the lands, look over the leaders with the blood on their hands. And open your eyes and see what they do When they knock over their friend, they're knocking for you With their knock on the door, knock on the door Here they come to take one more With their knock on the door, knock on the door